My name is Trey Dowell. I hope you're all here for the Art of the Query workshop. If not, the gift shop is downstairs. <laughs> um, so we're here today to talk about query letters. How many of you pitched to agents this week? Okay, you smattering. Pitch to agents. Um, part and parcel of pitching your work to an agent, either in person or via email, is a query. Um, we're going to talk about what a query is if you're not familiar with it. If you are familiar with it, we're going to teach you how to do it right. Um, very, very few people, myself included, make a killer query letter the first time they try. It is an exceedingly difficult skill. And that's why, really, that's why the, the uh, workshop is called the art of the query. It is an art, um, part science, but mainly it's art because you are essentially enticing someone to read your work. And you're doing that the same way you write. You do it with skill. You do it with your own personal style and voice. All of those things apply to query letters just like they do to your novel or your memoir or whatever book you're writing. So. We're going to talk about all those elements. Um, I'm going to show you examples of queries that worked, queries that worked really, really well. Um, we're going to talk about the things not to do. And trust me, I did them. Uh, Norm did them. We've all done them. This is my buddy Norm Thoming slash August Norman. Um, we are both published traditionally, as are many people in the conference. There are people here that are, that are published, that are self-published, that are indie published, that are hybrid published. Um, at some point in almost everyone's journey, they tend to try and find an agent. Does it? it? There's nothing wrong with not getting one, but this is a workshop that's designed to give you your best shot at getting an agent. Okay? And all that this query letter does, and I, I will say this again probably in a little bit, the absolute best query letter ever written does not get you an agent. It does not get you a publisher. It just gets that person to turn to page one. Your writing, your story, is what's going to get the agent. But agents are incredibly busy, and they are looking for ways to say no to you. And the query letter is your ticket in. It's your ticket to page one if you do it right. So, everybody on board? All right. So. My name again is Trey, and I first came to this, just so you have a little background on me and how, how I came to be sitting in this chair. Um, I first came here in 2011, so 12 years ago. I had one published short story to my name, and one, or I think like two chapters of a, what I thought could eventually be a novel. I thought that I was a poser. I thought that someone would find out that I was not skilled enough to be at a writing conference with, filled with real writers. I ate room service in my room for the first five nights because I was, quite frankly, terrified. Um, it was my first exposure to a writing world beyond my office and my computer. And by the end, I realized I'd made a horrible mistake, that it was really, really important to branch out, to meet people, to become a part of this community. Because writing itself is super, super insular and solitary. But it doesn't have to be. That's why I encourage everyone to come to conferences like this and to be part of it. Because then you just, you adapt and you learn and you become much better very, very quickly. As an example, I came back the next year and did it the right way. 
The next year I came back with a whole novel. And um, I had the worst agent experience ever. <laughs> Sat down and the agent said, okay, I don't get your main character. Now, no, nothing good at all, just I don't get your main character. And it, it got worse from there, okay? And just to show you that like, I've lived all the horror stories, I stumbled out of that agent meeting, literally like unsteady, because I thought, well, the dream's dead. I mean, obviously I'm not good enough. You will say, obviously I'm not good enough, I don't know, roughly 100 times a year, even after you get published. It never goes away. It's imposter syndrome. He's got it, I've got it. It's, that's just the way of things. It's not true, but walked out of there, and I thought, wow, this is like the worst day of my life. And then I went down, and the agent panel was going on like a half an hour later. I was like the last person, basically. So I go to the agent panel, and um, the first question is, what do you not like to see in a query letter? And the agent that I had pitched to says, uh, rhetorical questions. And everybody in the, oh my god, yes, rhetorical questions. <laughs> Losers, right? Those. That kind of attitude. The first line of my query was, of course, what if you could change the world? What if you could change it fundamentally? And you'll see in the query letters work that I got better. Um, but, and so that made me feel even worse. And then my phone dinged with an email, and I panicked and turned off the ringer. Um, and it was my dad, and I had given him the full novel two weeks before I had come to the conference. And he said, hey, I just finished your book, and I just wanted to tell you, I am really proud of you. It was a great, great story. And I was like, okay, I can breathe. <laughs> and then the agent passed the mic, to another agent. So your family likes your book. <laughs> Does that really mean it's good? Really? And at that point, I just went to the bar. There was, all, there was almost no point. Luckily, I, I sharpened up my game, got an agent three months after the conference was over. She helped me edit it, pitched it, and the next summer, I got an offer from Simon and Schuster. So, and then by 20, I guess it was 2014, it came out. And then by 2015, I was on a panel, the new book panel, because I had just been published. So I went from being the person sitting in chairs, sitting here, and thinking there's no way I'm ever going to have this dream, and it happened. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen for everybody, but the point is, I pursued it, and I worked hard at it. And every single one of you made the right decision to come here, because this is one of the most important parts of pursuing your dream. So I just want to say, regardless of what happens, I'm proud of all of you. You've made an excellent decision. And this conference in particular, I think, is one of the best in the United States. Because it's mainly about craft, but it's also about business. But what it's really about is meeting people. It's about broadening your network and becoming part of a bigger tribe, which you just don't know about if you hammer away day after day in front of a computer with your head down. This is the time where we pull our heads up and we look around and we talk to other people and more importantly, we listen to other people who are having the same struggles as you, the same nightmares as you. And when you confront those together, it just makes life better. So that's, my, that's why I'm here. I'm trying to make you guys have a leg up 
when it comes to pursuing your dreams. Really, that's what the whole conference is about. So, I wrote a query letter in order to, you know, start along that road, and it was shitty. Um, it got better. So, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pass around this packet. I think there should be enough. Everybody, take one, pass it around. And this is uh, a sheet that will give you a bunch of resources to look at queries after the, you leave the conference by much less uh, accomplished people than me. Um, no, actually, I learned from these people who wrote some of these things. And they're online, and you can look at queries to your heart's content. Um, they're very important resources. In addition, I have uh, basically four queries to work. Okay, we're going to go through them, each one. We're going to explain what made them work. And we're going to tell you what happened to the people that wrote these. Because it's, it's one thing to say, hey, this is a great query. It's also another to say, this is a great query, and this is what it led to. So, and then after that, um, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, things not to do. And then we're going to look at your queries. People that have queries, if you, have, if you brought something, even if it's just on your computer, if you have a query letter and you want to workshop it right here, right now, we'll do it. Um, for anybody who came in late, there's a sign-up sheet right here in the middle of the table. Thank you. And put your name on it, and once I'm done and tired of talking, we will go through those. That'll probably be after the break. So what is this for? This is for you to read your query. No, the emails. Oh, the handout? The email list. No, uh, no it's not an email list. It's a, it's a reading list so that you can read your query. Got it. Yes, and does everyone have a handout? There's, yeah, we got more here. She's got them. You absolutely can ask me a question. This is um, to get an agent, and agents are taking. Now, I, I'll be flat out honest with you. I've never queried for a magazine for nonfiction. Um, but I mean, the elements we're going to talk about, they still apply. So, because you're going to have to write a publisher, you're going to have to write an editor. And you're going to have to say, you know, this is what I brought to the table. Um, my guess is, is that a magazine article would require a different, you know, content would be different. The style, however, is similar. Okay. So before we look at, you know, clearly the best query ever created for my book, um, we're going to talk about, you know, again, a query is just a tease, and you need to think of it as a tease. It's like a movie trailer. Okay? When you watch a movie trailer, it's two minutes, and it gives you the main characters, it gives you a feel for what the movie's about, it does not show you the climax of the movie, it's just to get you going, wow, that's something I need to see. You see these kinds of trailers, not just for movies, or for books too, not in queries, but look at uh, dust jackets, book jackets, the backs of books. When you make your informed decision to buy a book, what are you doing? Not everybody just turns to page one. They first look at the back. They look at that, at that blurb, and they decide, okay, this sounds great. I, I have an idea of the characters. I have an idea of what happens. Then they turn to page one. Well, that's what we're doing here. We're just doing it in a you know, formal letter. Um, and uh, let's see. 
I already told you, it does, it, all it does is get people to read page one. And now I'm going to tell you why giving your work a chance like that is so important. And we're going to talk about agents and what their life is like. You heard it if you came to, how many people came to the agent panel? Okay, I was going to say, hopefully almost everybody. So Eric Myers is Norm's agent and was the moderator of the agent panel. And I sat down with him a couple of years ago and I updated these numbers this week. And I asked him, what does your year look like with queries? You know, what, what do you do? And he said he gets about five to 10 queries a day. He gets around 50 a week. That's 2,000 in a year. So, oh, thank goodness, CVS Pharmacy is calling me. Um, my medications are reading to start back in time. Um, wow, that's valuable for the video, isn't it? <laughs> Keep forgetting that that's there. Um, we can edit. Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> Cut. So two thousand a year, um, and of these, of those two thousand, he's going to ask for about twenty to twenty-five full manuscripts. So that's one percent of his two thousand queries. So of those twenty to twenty-five, how many new clients do you think he's going to take on? Two, three, three, like two or three. So think about that. Two thousand people attempt to get Eric to represent their work, and he does one tenth of one percent. So it's I'm not, I'm not telling you those things to scare you or depress you, but I'm trying to impress upon you the idea that you have to make your shot count, because when you have two thousand things in your inbox, they're not looking for a reason to take you on as a client. He's looking for a reason to not take you on as a client. He wants to eliminate the stuff really quickly so that he can get those out of his inbox and get to the ones that count. And here's where I'm here to make your life better, okay? These are things that you're not gonna do after taking this course, right? 20% of those 2,000 queries, that's 400, come in with dear agent at the top, okay? That shows that you, as a, as, a, as a writer, as a professional wannabe writer, have done no research. You just got his email address or got his agency's email address, and you just sent it in blind. That's an auto-reject. Auto. They won't even look past the words dear agent. And I don't blame them. 10% more are sent to the wrong person or the wrong agency. Agents move around all the time. And they, they go to different agencies. You send it to somebody and it goes to the wrong agency, or you send it to somebody that that, that you know is no longer taking clients, auto-reject. And another 10% don't rep the genre that you're trying to send them. That again shows you've done no research at all. You just send it into a, a big name. That happens all the time. Ooh, this agent is Stephen King's agent. I want this guy. Except he's not taking memoir. If you don't do that research and you send it, auto-reject. That's 40% of the queries that Eric gets in a year, and this applies to all agents. 40% off the top, rejected, they didn't even read a word of your query. They looked at the, they looked at the first line or the, the, you know, what genre it was, and then they're done. So make your chance count. Give yourself every chance to get that agent's attention. Don't do the dumb stuff. I mean, 
I might be being a little overly harsh. It's not dumb. It's just uninformed. But that's why we come here, to be informed. Would you write the full name, Dear Jerry, or Dear Jerry Jackson? Yeah. Um, I would usually say Mr. You know, Mr. Myers, you know, or uh, Ms. Smith, uh, you know. I, again, they want writers that are professional. They want people that are, just a second, right? The, they want people, they are professionals, they are in it, they, their time is valuable, and they want writers that understand that, and writers that will present themselves well if they ever go on a book tour or an interview. I, you know, I, I'm sad to say that there's a, there's a writer at this conference that she's not here this year, but... Um, she's been here many years, and she's really one of our best friends at the conference. She's extremely friendly, um, loving author and writer in person. She wanted to, she was so excited about the agent that she pre-submitted her stuff to that she emailed her directly and said, gosh, I can't wait to see you at the conference. I've been following you on Twitter. We both love dogs. It's amazing. And she put like 15 emojis in the email and by the time the conference came and she was over the moon couldn't wait to meet with her when she got there and she sat down in front of her she leading up to that meeting she was like she's going to be my agent she's going to be my agent this is wonderful I can feel it in my bones I just know she sat down and she said you know I sent you an email I know. Oh. <laughs> I just think you're wonderful. Okay, so here's what I wouldn't do. So yeah, her that that really you know, and, and when you get to the point where there might be a restraining order after the conference, you have made a monumental mistake. So professional, Mister, Mrs. Ms. Ms. is always better, I, I think. Um, but or full name. But address them professionally. Follow rules. Don't be ultra creative where you're like, you know, the query letter is 16 pages long. You put one word on each page. Like, like people do crazy stuff. They, they absolutely do. But again, it's about time and professionalism. The agent wants to look at this thing and get a feel for your ability as a writer. And if they see it, they turn to page one. If they don't, they move on. And sometimes you don't even get a rejection. So again, make your shot count. So I want everybody to, um, to look at the query number one. It's the second page, I believe. Just a quick question, though. Yeah, sorry, Brian. What, you um, what resource or resources would you recommend to see what agents are where and what they might currently be looking for. You know, Dual Trope will help us with, you know, magazines. What helps us find it, that the agents out there? All right, Dual Trope actually has agents too. Um, yeah. I would go to Agent Query. It's one of the things that I talk about on the, on the first page of that query letter resources. It has a searchable database for just about every agent in the business. You can search by genre and find out exactly who's repping it. And then, um, and we'll touch more on this later, but this is probably the most valuable resource once you really get serious about looking for agents. Um, Publishers Marketplace. I don't have it on here, I don't think. Um, but because it's not free, you have to pay. It's 20 bucks a month, 25 bucks a month, something like that. When you're really ready, when you have a 
completed novel that you feel is solid and you have a, a professional query and it's time to start picking people and sending emails, you sign up and get a month of Publishers Marketplace because that will allow you to not only look up an agent, you can look them up and see what deals they've made. Like agent query won't tell you that, but Publishers Marketplace will say that they've made seven deals in the last year. They've made two. They'll tell you the relative value of those deals. You know, the, there's a little code that they put on there that talks about how much someone's advance is. If it's a nice deal, it's like five grand or, or more. If it's a very nice deal, it's 15. It goes up to like major and superb or whatever. Point is, you can look at an agent and really know how good they are. And that's, I think, a common misconception. Just because somebody says they're an agent does not mean they're a good one. It and, and I fell for this trap in a big, big way. I, I queried three people, and the third one said yes. And I said, woohoo, I got an agent. I, I asked her questions, but I didn't ask her the right ones. And she had never made a sale before. That seems like that's kind of the first thing you should ask, right? Well, you don't have to ask if you have Publishers Marketplace. You can just find out. Now, it ended up being okay, because she sold the book. That was her first sale. But I would, looking back, hindsight 2020, I would rather have an agent that was experienced and was a shark, somebody who knew the business inside and out, like Eric, like uh, Norm's agent. So, um, is that? Yeah, that's exactly what I think we all Okay. So, how do you do this? How do you get people to turn to page one? This is what a query looks like. This is one that I wrote for the protectors, query number one. So I'm gonna read this, because you know, it was my book. Um, and afterwards, we're gonna talk about the different elements that make this up. Call Scott McAllister a cynic, a pessimist, or even a smartass. If you wanna remain conscious, however, don't call the Sandman a superhero. Heroes change the world. The only thing Scott changes these days is his underwear. Not exactly the retirement the leader of the mighty protectors expected. But when one of only four superhumans on the planet dies under your command, they don't throw you a parade. Even worse, self-imposed isolation gives Scott plenty of quality time to remember the angry stares of the two teammates he left behind. When one of those teammates goes rogue, a desperate CIA requests an end to Scott's guilt-ridden solitude. Sick of the government's empty promises of change, Lila Ramsey, Aphrodite, is finally following through on her obsession to make a real difference. Her near-limitless mind control ability means she's capable of anything, stopping dictators, ending war, even ruling nations. Although Scott admires her motives, he knows from experience what happens when a god becomes a liability. As the Sandman closes in on his target, he's forced to make a decision with no good outcome. Stop an increasingly erratic Lila by any means necessary or join her and watch the world declare war on them both. And because he's about to confront a woman with the power to enchant anyone she chooses, Scott can't even be certain the decision will be his own. So that's, that's what's called the hook. That's the part of your query letter where you're writing, you're, you're selling the story, and you're selling your own writing ability. And, you know, I'll say this, many times, but you want to write the query, you want to write the hook in the voice that you use in the novel. 
it's not just a, a rote description of what happens in the book, because that's boring. You have to write this the way your characters talk, the way you talk in the book. You know, spoiler alert, Scott's a smartass, so, you know, he says things like, the only thing he changes these days is his underwear. That tells you something about Scott without me having to tell you that he's depressed or that he feels adrift. I'm showing you it, I'm showing you that with the voice that I'm writing. Um, and, and little bits of voice are sprinkled throughout there where I'm trying to make things both heavy and light. And that's what the book's like. So that was after many tries, and the first try being one where I started off saying, what if you could change the world? What if you could change it fundamentally, not by recycling, but by actually stopping bad things from happening? That was the kind of thing I started with. Rhetorical question, rhetorical question, rhetorical question. I still thought it was okay, but it broke rules. And, and that's one thing I want to talk about. Don't get hung up on rules. Yeah, rhetorical questions were not liked by the agents that were at the, the conference that, that, that year. But guess what? Query number two, Look at the first line of query number two. How about a female Asian protagonist kicking ass in a world where shamans summon gods by dropping acid? It's <laughs> a rhetorical question, and it totally works. So we're not going to be talking about rules so much as we're going to be talking about guidelines. There's just there's lots of room to kind of make some make a query letter your own. Okay, you you have the ability to customize it to what you do best. Um, but again, like, does it make sense to do, you know, unless, you know, my rhetorical question was a bunch of vanilla dog shit. Her rhetorical question was amazing. So you get my point, right? It's, it's about, it's, we all have a structure to work within, but there's a lot of leeway and there's a lot of room for you to use your creativity and to use your writing skill to make a query letter your own. Okay. Now going back to the page one. All right, so that's the hook, okay? The hook is usually 150 to 250 words. What do you see there, three or four paragraphs? That's about as long as you have. That's, that's the amount of words you have to make your case, okay? The other stuff is extremely important to have in a query, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but the hook is the meat. That's really what sells the, re uh, sells the publisher or the agent on turning the page, okay? And when we workshop queries, that's what we're going to spend the most time on, because that's really the most important part. But you also need other things, too, right? So here's the structure. You're going to have to have one paragraph that talks about the book, okay? It's the vanilla stuff. This is the title. This is how many words it is. This is what the genre is. I do that at the beginning of the paragraph after the book. Okay, Aphrodite Way is a 92,000 plus word adult sci-fi novel. Boom, I've given them the title, given them the word count, given them the genre. And that's super important to the agent because that's the first thing they're gonna think about once they see your skill, how do I sell it? Because they're looking at this as a sellable product. Can I sell this? So by telling them that stuff, you are telling them where it's gonna go in the bookshelf, you're telling them in the bookstore, you're telling them what publishers they can approach, you know, I guarantee you a good agent, a really successful one, knows five or six different editors personally at any one moment and knows what they're looking for. 
because they have lunch with them or they follow them on Twitter and they, like all good writers should too, if you want to, if you want to pursue a particular agent. Um, they know what they're looking for. They know that such and such at, uh, you know, what's the Amazon one? Sure, Thomas and Merton. Yeah, yeah, they know that they're looking for a upscale women's fiction. And then it comes in with upscale women's fiction. They know this is sellable, okay? So if they like what they see in the query and you've got this outlined very plainly, you're in good shape. You don't want to go real nebulous with it and say things like, um, New age fundamentalists, like it, think broader. It's you know, it's just give them a, a, a normal genre of one that it fits in, um, and then so you've got the book. Okay, that's usually done in two or three sentences. I combine it pretty much all into one, um, and that's going to be title, genre, word count, and maybe a comp. Does everybody know what a comp is? A comparative title, a comparative title, comparative title. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're looking for a book. That the agent can, in his mind or her mind, say, "Oh, this is where this book fits in the in the marketplace." So, in mine, I went, uh, I did it at the very bottom, um, along with the agent customization. So, and we'll get to that. So, you've got the book, and you have the writer. It's you. You need to talk about yourself. You need to give them your name. And you need to be professional about it and not say things like, my family loves this book, I think you will too. Um, again, professional. Um, and on this one, if you have any credits to your name, that's an easy way to show an agent that you are professional. Some, somebody that understands submission process, someone who understands deadlines. That's all a reflection on whether or not they're gonna wanna work with you, okay? So I put a couple of the credits that I had on there about short stories and placing in contests, et cetera. You know, it's, it's not the kind of thing that gets you a book deal, but it's the kind of thing that, that paints a picture in the agent's mind of the kind of writer you are. If you don't have credits, don't worry about it. Absolutely don't worry about it. It's your writing that's gonna sell it. This is just telling them something a little extra about who you are, and maybe, as you'll see in some of the other ones, why you're the writer to write this story. Sometimes that matters a lot, sometimes it doesn't, but it can be very effective at building a, 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 a good pitch. Did you have a question? Uh, yeah, just um, with respect to publication credits, if you have publication history in something like academic research, is it, is it meaningful to include that in there? Or Are you writing a nonfiction book? Yes. Okay. In that speciality, particularly. Uh, fiction? No. I mean, it's okay to say, I am a professor of such and such, because Professor indicates, you know, a, a certain level of uh, proficiency with the written work. So I think that's okay. Um, but no. So you and then right, right, and and this goes to why are you the right person to write this story? If you are writing a crime thriller and you are an ex-cop or a current cop, yes, say that because that immediately puts a certain amount of uh, verisimilitude with the... Yes, it's, 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 it, it shows that you, you know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, a cop, uh, a doctor that's writing a medical drama, I mean, all of that, veteran, any kind of military sci-fi or military in general. Um, and memoir and things like that. Memoir is even more important to say why you're the person to write this book. Um, and we'll get into that. So you've got, you need a paragraph about 
that tells something about the book. You need a paragraph that talks about you as a writer, brief. You need something that, and this is the, the third of the four, the fourth is the hook. But the third one is you have to have something about the agent. And this is called agent personalization. And this is where so, so many people don't do any homework and they ruin their, ch they, they ruin their chance, okay? Research the agent you are sending the query to. Yes, you might look them up on agent query. You might know that they rep sci-fi authors or sci-fi books. That's not enough. You really want to go deeper. You follow them on Twitter. You look up their bio on the web on the agency website. You see if they're if they posted anything recently about I'm looking for X. And if they are, man, you know how how much credence this puts in the, to your name in the top when you say. You know, dear Mr. Myers, I understand that you're looking for um, upmarket, uh, you know, coming of age stories, you know, based in the 60s. I mean, stuff like that happens. They, they, they say things like that. That's why I'm contacting you first. And then they know that they've done, the, they know that you've done their research, your research. They know that you're bringing them something that they want and need, and they will be very happy, and it makes you stand up out immediately. If you have pitched to an agent at a conference and you want to contact them later, so much better to say, we met at the Santa Barbara Writers Conference in 2024, and you, know, you told me to, you get my point, you've got to personalize each query. Some of them you, you won't be able to find any information on, but I mean, you can see on this one, I, I had seen that he had, uh, indicated an active interest in getting new debut authors, even though he had a superstar client list. So I mentioned that, okay? And that shows that I, I know what I was talking about. This is one of the first two people I queried, and uh, I'm still waiting to hear back. So, <laughs> fingers crossed. Um, and that just shows you, sometimes you don't even get a rejection. Sometimes they just never respond. So, something to think about. Um, so the hook, these 200, 250 words, 150 to 250 words, very, very important. And here's what the hook has to do. It's the most important thing I'm going to talk about today, okay? Every time you write a hook, it's got to do four things, okay? One, it's got to be about your character. It's got to introduce your main character. It's got to explain who they are. And you don't want to have five, six, seven characters mentioned in your query. Three, max. Two is better. One's awesome. Because the book is fun, usually fundamentally about a character, right? It's gotta be about the character. I have to, by the end of the hook, I've gotta know who your main character is. Two, I have to know what they want, what their goal is. Their motivation, their goal, their, their, their raison d'etre. I've got to know about what that main character is trying to achieve in your story, okay? Three, what's the conflict? Who stands in their way? What's the obstacle to them achieving that goal? What forces are arrayed against them, okay? And it, I know I make this sound like everything is sci-fi or something overly dramatic, but it applies to everything. Women's fiction, fantasy, historical fiction, it's all the same, you need to know what obstacle they're against, because obstacles create drama. It creates conflict, that's what story is about. So it can't just be a happy story about someone happy that just lives happily. 
<laughs> that, that does no good to anybody. Okay? Who's your main character? What do they want? What's standing in their way? And then lastly, what are the stakes? Okay? What's going to happen if your main character fails? And those stakes can be, in the case of science fiction, they could be galactic. You know, in, in, in regular, they, it could be global. It could be change the fate of a nation. Or it can just be personal. You know, it could be someone's life, someone's love. You know, and what's going to happen to them as a person? So the, the, the stakes can be of almost any scale, but there have to be stakes. You have to mention them so that your conflict and your drama is really well illustrated to an agent. So that they're going to see that, read it, and be like, okay, damn, got to go. Got to, excuse me, got to turn the page. Okay? Those four things are the most important things. Let's look at mine, okay? Query for the protectors. Who's my main character? First sentence. And you know something about him after the first sentence. Okay? And trust me, he's a smartass because basically he's a better looking version of me. I'm a huge smartass. Um, what's his goal? It says right there, he's got to stop violence. That's the only way he's going to have peace because the, the CIA has basically told him, do it or else. What's the conflict? We talk about his conflict. That he doesn't even know, he doesn't know if he can trust her. He doesn't know if he's ever been able to trust her. And it could be the end of him and the end of her if he doesn't if he fails. So the the conflict, the stakes, the goal, the character is all there. Trust me, there's a lot of characters in this book, but I've talked about two. That's the core, and everybody needs to know the core of their story, the core of that conflict. Because we don't have time to go through and talk about a particular scene. We don't have time to talk about, you know, the the sidekick of the main character. There's just you've got to make some brutal decisions to get your hook down to 150, 250 words. Don't be surprised if you write a query and the first time you write two pages. You would not be the first. But looking at these examples, hopefully you'll find a way to get it down. And again, the voice is important. And I know everybody here is a talented writer because you all paid money to come to a writing conference and you've been workshopping all week long. I want to see you in your queries. I want to see your style. I want to see the voice that all of you work on so hard. You know, you, one of the things you'll also have to submit, usually, is a synopsis. Anybody heard of the synopsis? If you think query letters are hard, try it. Fucking synopsis. They're terrible. Do every part of your book in one page. Summarize your entire book in one page, all the scenes, all the characters. It's just awful. Here's the good news. Nobody cares about the synopsis. They, they asked you for it, but really, they're not even going to look at it until after they've looked at your query and read some of your writing. The synopsis is generally used to see if you can stick a landing. See if you can plot, you know, if, if they don't have time to read the entire thing right out of the gate, um, if they, you know, they'll look at the synopsis and just see a general breakdown of the plot. Make sure it doesn't match something that they've already seen before. Make sure that you have a fitting end that doesn't just trail off into nothingness. But the query is what gets them to read your work, and your work is what sells itself. The synopsis is, uh, 
It's a really shitty cherry on top of the sundae. Yes. A uh, bit off topic on the synopsis thing. Uh, if it's if what you're if what you're querying is like or writing the synopsis on is the first part of a series, do you just synopsis the singular book or the whole series? No, you do the book. Okay. And in part of your and at the end of your query, in one of the things where you're talking about your the book itself, where you say Aphrodite weighs a ninety-two thousand word adult type final, you can then say it is book one of three. You know, and if other books are written already, you can mention that. You don't want to spend too much time on it. But what you're doing is again, it goes towards marketability, and and because. You're telling the, uh, the agent right away that this is not maybe just one sale, it's maybe two or three books sale because it's a series. So it's important to note that. It's not important to, to synopsize multiple books because all you're presenting is the one. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yep. Thank you. All right. Um, and please feel free to answer, ask questions. I don't know if you have any nonfiction people, but I just wanted to add it needs to be a, with the book proposal for nonfiction. Yeah. In case they're nonfiction. Right. Nonfiction is different. Nonfiction are book proposals, and those are much more intricate. They do not, you don't even have to have the book written for a nonfiction book proposal. You need to have, you know, two, three chapters, and you need to have a lot of materials. You need, it's, it's a much more involved, in depth thing. Um, but querying for agents for this is not, that's not the same thing as a book proposal. So for nonfiction, um, but again, what we're talking about here is still relevant because that's going to be part of a book proposal. One part of it is you have to sell them on what you're writing. This is that. It's just a book proposal has about seven other things too. So, but if you want to laugh at me and run away, I understand. Quick question, follow up on that. But you would query before sending a book proposal. You would, um, depending on the no book proposal. You need a, the book proposal goes. I don't think you query with just a straight query. For Assuming that they say they're accepting book proposals. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. But again, how do you find that out? Agent research. Agent research. Yes. You you look them up. You you a, a nonfiction publisher or uh, authors. I mean agents to handle nonfiction. You research them. You know what they want. You you should know that they want. 50 pages, and a summary, and uh, you know, side materials, pictures, all of those things. That's usually what an agent wants for nonfiction. So, let's get back to, to the, the actual fiction part. Did you, did all of you have some of these? Some yeah, please. There's a big handout. If anybody doesn't have it, raise their hand. Okay. Good. Ah, that, the question was, should authors query an unfinished book? And, um, you know, because I'm like 90% of the way, I just need to work on this, and I just I don't want to take so long, so I want to query them ahead of time, because it might take them a long time to get back to me, and by then I'll be finished. Do not do this, because the best case scenario will then happen to you. Query them, they will say, I love this, can I see the book? And I, I want you to send me the full. If you get a request for a full, and you don't send that full in 24 hours, that just reeks of unprofessional. They will know immediately you are not somebody that they want to work with because they want professionalism. And, and it's very, very well known. You don't query unless you've got the whole book. 
and lots of people do this, and it's, it's annoying as all hell to, to agents. Because they get excited. If they see it, and they're excited about it, and they ask you, please send me the full, you're one of the 1% that they've asked. And for you to not deliver on that ruins you for that agent. You might as well cross that person off and never contact them again. Yes. Holly has some I was going to add, well, you don't want to send out a query until your book is finished. It's a really great way to set yourself up before you write a book. Absolutely. I, I, in my head, I think before I even start writing, how am I going to query this? And once I have an idea of the characters, yeah, I play with queries every once in a while just to, just to make it, and because it gives you an idea of the structure and the conflicts that you want in your novel. It's, it's, it's like a way of outlining almost. Yes. If, yeah. If you can't write the query, then you're not writing a book that's going to sell. Write yes. the query or the book blurb first. But, you can change it. Yeah. But, um, okay, so uh, da, 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 where was, was I? Was this a successful one for you? First. Yeah, that, my first one. Yeah, that, that was really mine. Worked. That really that worked, really Rachel. <laughs> that really worked. <laughs> Seriously? I didn't mean to dip my tone. No, 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 no. That did work. So, but now let's go on. I want to show you the second one. Okay. Uh, let's see. Who wants to read? Read. Somebody read for me. Anybody back there. Dear Hannah, how about a female Asian protagonist kicking ass in a world where shamans summon gods by dropping acid? I am seeking representation for Seer's Vengeance, a completed fantasy novel with 1,307 words. 137,000 words. I'm going to say that's a short one. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm an English major, not a, not a math major. Uh, 12-year-old 12, 12 orphan Runin Feng has zero prospects. Her foster parents, two opium dealers, would like to marry her off to an imports official, but Rudin has other plans. Through a series of thefts and bribes, she manages to test into the academy at Sinagard, where martial artists are trained to lead the Nikan Imperial militia. There, Rudin discovers an aptitude for shamanism, the ancient high art of calling upon the gods in a battle through ingesting psychedelics. Read, get high, breathe fire. <laughs> But as Rudin grows from clueless orphan to formidable martial artist, her, country's ready, her country readies itself for war. When the Federation of Mugen invades her motherland, Nikan, Rudin is thrust into the heart of a conflict that has spanned generations. As her shamanic powers grow, she will be forced to make a conflict between saving her people and retaining her humanity. Perfect. That's good. To make a choice, not a conflict. To, because, and I, I say that because it's important. Because queries, when you get to the end of the hook, they frequently, it, it benefits you as a writer to talk about the fundamental choice or alternative or, or difficult um, moment that is facing your character. You're taking the reader right up to this critical point and you're hanging them right there. You're giving them that cliffhanger. I did the same on mine. Will Scott, you know, Scott won't even know if the decision's gonna be his own. Not only is he facing a difficult choice, he doesn't even know if he's gonna be the one to make it, okay? And she says she will be forced to make a choice between saving her people and retaining her humanity. See how they just bring you right to that brink and then they just stop. And they're not telling you too much of the story. I think she goes way, she gets very heavy into some details here and a lot of like, Concepts, the Econ Imperial Militia, and you know, there's a ton of capitalized words in your in your query, 
That means you know, you're, you're, you're giving people a lot of new terms. Um, and she does that here. But it's super compelling. There's a lot of humor in it, too. Read high, read, get high, breathe fire. I mean, there's, it's obvious from her tone. Do you detect a tone through this? You see how she's, you know, how about a female age protagonist kicking ass? I mean, this is somebody who is, who has wonderful creativity, um, you know, has, has plotted out a ton of new concepts, has done amazing world building. There's a lot of world building in these three or four paragraphs. That shows skill. Her voice shows skill. So I'm not surprised at all that this query letter worked. But here's the super big thing. We talked about, are you the right person to write this book? And in this paragraph, look at what she says. I study international relations theory and modern Chinese history. To study these things is to study suffering. Like, she goes on about, you know, I have asked how Japan can do this. To this day, refuses to acknowledge the massacre and the rapes of tens of thousands of women. This is somebody who knows subject, you know, the cultural uh, information and background of what she has turned into a fantasy novel. So that stuff, man, that goes a long way with an agent. Okay? I mean, but first, they're not even going to get to that part first. They're looking at the hook. And we can talk about structure, too. It's, there's no hard, fast rule of how you structure those four paragraphs that I talked about. The book information, your information, the hook, comparative, comparative titles. Like, there's no set way to do it. I prefer to see the hook first. Some agents prefer to see the hook first. Because quite frankly, none of the other stuff matters if the hook's not really good. So remember yesterday at the agent panel, the guy said he gives about 60 seconds to a query letter? Use those 60 seconds maybe looking at my hook and not reading about how I graduated from Yale or something. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, get to the hook first. Yes? Uh, when uh, at the panel, Amy fully said that she wants to know up front, what's the genre? What's yeah. the gift? And that's how do you know which agent wants that first? You don't. Um, you don't. I mean, some agents might say it on Twitter. They that's might say it on. It's, but it's not going to be an agent query. It's not. Okay. I mean, honestly, I've seen it work all, all different ways. And look for trends when you sit on an agent panel. Ask the question. Ask that question of all four people, all five people. But I mean, I I've looked through a lot of databases of, of queries that worked, um, a lot of gurus that work on this stuff just like I do. And think about it from just that perspective. Does the genre and all that matter if the voice, if the hook sucks? I wouldn't think so. Yeah. So. Entice the agent first, and quite frankly, the genre should be pretty apparent from what the hook says. So, but again, it's okay because we're going to look at a couple more, and they put the one of them puts the genre information up front. So, um, so yeah, that book sold big, became a, a three-book series called The Poppy War, and uh, it, it got a substantial advance, and. Um, it's, and you can see my notes on the next page where I talk about it. I'm not going to go over them, but she did a great job of giving the agent exactly what that agent asked for. She says, you're looking for military sci-fi. Boom. I mean, you're, like, that's a guarantee they're going to look at your writing. Career letter was awesome. I'm sure her writing was even better. It sold the book. So. Quick question. Yes. Uh, the, the 
minors or the hard drug use isn't a turnoff? I mean, in science fiction fantasy, it's not, and, and also in this case, you know, it's, it's not about abuse or, you know, this is about using something that, you know, uh, will potentially save for people. I mean, if you're writing a YA book, or if you're like, there might be, yeah, there might be more. Like it is a YA, that's why I it's it's adult sci-fi. Okay. I read I read part of the first book. So, but in any case, um, and when you're doing drama and literary fiction and things like that, yeah, if you make light of drug use, probably probably not a good idea. Yeah. All right, we're going to go on to the third one. Okay, and this is um, this is one that I helped on. I met this writer through my online writing group, and um, well, Jennifer, you want to do this one? You want to read it one? Read it for me. Number three. Yep. Dear Agent Name, with your interest in diverse voices that open a window on less represented perspectives, I hope you consider my upmarket women's fiction novel, complete at one thousand sixteen thousand words. Written in a voice that would appeal to fans of Leanne Moriarty's domestic dramas, The Switch is an exploration of motherhood after infertility, what it costs, what it's worth, and the way it forces us to reassess what makes a family, biology, or love. Okay, stop there for just a quick second. You see what she does in the first paragraph? She does a couple of different things. She gets personal with the agent right off the gate. Excuse me, right off the gate. With your interest in diverse voices that open a window on less represented perspectives. She's done the work. She knows that this is an agent that's looking exactly at what she's selling. Okay, and then she gives the, the genre, upmarket women's fiction, and then tells a word count. She does it right, right at the front and gets it out of the way. Now, one of the things that we talked about, and, and I, I, I uh, edited out for her and said that I think it makes, is I don't think you need written in a voice that would appeal to fans of Leanne Moriarty's domestic dramas. What she's doing there is she's, she's doing a comp, but she's kind of doing it in a, a presumptive way. Um, you have to be careful when you do comps, when you say, mine is written in a voice. Well, that's really not, that's for the agent to determine. They're going to see that voice. And also, down later in her query, she does comp titles, where she says, it would sit nicely on the shelf between Jody DeColt and you home, not my daughter. So she's already doing the comps. I would rather take that out and get to the hook faster and not already be talking about domestic dramas of a, of a different author. Okay, go ahead and read the hook if you would, Jennifer. Catherine is a woman full of obsessions. Everything clean, everything perfect, all of the time. After seven years of trying and failing, she finally gives birth to Rose, her IVF miracle child. But when a nurse confesses to switching the eggs during an IVF retrieval, Catherine's perfect life crumbles around her. A DNA reveals, real, reveals Rose's real mother is Tess, a self-proclaimed screw-up whose series of poor choices left her divorced, broke, and stuck in a job she feels is beneath her skills. When, ten, when Tess declares she wants Rose for herself, the women enter a tumultuous custody battle. Determined to remain mother to her child, Catherine's obsessions turn to keeping her daughter, whatever the cost, except the one price she may not be willing to pay. Okay, perfect. All right. This is a fabulous example of, of putting a really compelling conflict in two paragraphs. She does it very quickly, very, in a modicum of words. And you know everything you really need to know about this book. It's probably one of the best short 
hooks I've ever seen, because that can't be more than 150 words. But you've got Catherine, you've got what her goal is to, to, to keep a hold of her daughter, you've got the conflict, and you've got the stakes. I think the stakes here are mostly implied, but my God, they're important. You know, this is a woman's child. It's everything to her. So that's a great job of doing something quickly. And there are some things that I changed. Uh, you know, um, the switch is an exploration of motherhood after infertility. What it costs, what it's worth, and the way it forces us to reassess what makes a family. You don't need biology or love. Like, that's, that's implied. So, you know, some of those things are things that, that I worked with her with and she took out. But I wanted you to see the query the same way I saw it when it came to my desk, because that's what we're gonna do when we look at your queries. We're gonna look at the raw version. But this is super, super good to begin with. It's just little nip, nips and tucks through that take it from being a good query letter to being a fabulous one, okay? So then we get to the most important part of this, the thing that just blew my mind. Why is this woman the right woman to write this story? My daughter, conceived through IVF, emerged a visibly different race from me. Who, what agent is not going to turn the page to look at page one? You have to. But that's an example of why it's important to do this query the right way, to structure it the right way, and to mention the right stuff. Not everybody's going to have some personal detail like that, but it's important to realize that those are things that can, that can mean the difference between the agent continuing or the agent saying, eh. So, and this is, you know, she has a master's degree in English literature. That's okay. That's pertinent. You know, an English major, somebody that works with words. Are you a technical writer? Are you, you know, are you somebody that works with the written word every day? Those things are credits, even if you don't have short stories, even if you don't have a prior novel published. You have to, this is the part where it's, it's resume fluffing. You gotta figure out what you think about you is worth mentioning to give you more street cred as an author. Okay, does that make sense? All right. All right, we're gonna do one more, and then we're gonna do a break, and then we're gonna start looking at your queries. Okay, this is query number four. Yeah, I worked with her on this, on this query. So, so now I get to say that my name is in a bestseller. <laughs> it's in the back <laughs> where she says thanks, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. No. So um, let's see. Anybody want to take this one? Go, Nathan. Remark, uh, dear blank. Remarkably bright creatures is upmarket fiction with a dash of whimsy, complete at eighty-eight thousand words. Told alternately from the perspective of an elderly widow, a fatherless young man, and a giant Pacific octopus, this quirky story will appeal to book club readers who enjoyed Frederick Backman's uh, Brit Marie Was Here and Kevin Wilson's Nothing to See Here. Curmudgingly Marcellus, a prisoner at Saul Bay Aquarium, wouldn't lift one of his eight tentacles for his human captors until an unlikely friendship with the cleaning lady sets him on a mission to unite her with her grandson that she doesn't know she has. After Tova Sullivan's husband died two years ago, she walks her way into a job mopping floors at the aquarium. She doesn't need the paycheck, but keeping busy has always helped her cope, which she's been doing since 1987, when her 18-year-old son, Eric, mysteriously vanished on a boat in Puget Sound. 
Cat Cameron uh, Catalinic recently turned 30, but he has some growing up to do. He arrives in Sowell Bay on, on a mission to find the father he's never known, and he lands a gig helping clean at the aquarium after Tova breaks her foot. Marcellus, keenly observant, deduces that Cameron is Tova's grandson. As Tova's injury lingers, with no family to care for her, she, plan she makes plans to sell the house her father built and move to a faraway retirement community. Marcellus must use every trick in his invertebrate body to muster, oh, uh, his body can muster, to bring Tova and Cameron together and lead them to the truth about Eric's disappearance before it is too late. Okay, that's good. It's perfect. So, she does a ton of stuff right here. She really does. Um, you know, she, and, and what's funny is there was still stuff that didn't need to be in here. Um, an example is upmarket fiction with a dash of whimsy. Do you want to tell an agent that your novel has a dash of whimsy or show it to them in the query? The query shows it. The query shows that there's some whimsy in there. So you don't need that. Um, you know, and, and she does a great job here of getting the three main characters. Because it's, it's a book told from three different perspectives. So I think it's important to have what she does here, a paragraph for each character. And in those, she's not just introducing the characters, she's also introducing conflict between, you know, and, and stakes in those character descriptions. And by the end of it, we know every character, we know what every character wants, and we know what stands in the way. And we know that the, the, the critical element in all of this is a freaking octopus. I mean, that's incredibly creative and compelling. And this came out, she did this query around the same time that um, My Octopus Teacher, I think was the documentary, was blowing up. Oh, that was yeah. lucky. <laughs> I, here's the dirty secret and nobody's gonna tell you. There's a lot of luck in publishing. There's a ton. You can be, and there's bad luck. Tell them what, when, when your second novel came out. Oh, yeah. My second novel came out in September of 2020, which was the uh, the month with the most books released in the history of publishing at one time. <laughs> because the COVID slowdown lockdown had, had mm -hmm. basically made backup in all the printing factories, which meant all the majors had to hold on their releases, so then they finally shoved them all out once things were unlocked. To September of 2020. So his book got released in a, in a giant dump of basically six months worth of books plus everything that was supposed to come out in that month. I mean, it's still really good. You can buy it downstairs. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was the highlight of that month. That's right. That's right. But luck happens. So don't, don't think that, you know, it's uh, every success is going to be, you have to, you have to thank the luck gods a little bit because it helped. Yeah, yeah. Also, a lot of people died then, so my book uh, not coming out great. It's not the it's not the tragedy. Here. Not the worst part of 2020. <laughs> Question just occurred to me about comps. Um, yeah. What's your thought on comps to TV series and movies? Just because these TV series are becoming much more, you know. Yeah, as as media becomes more and more cross germinated, pollinated. Yeah, I, I think it's okay to to add it. It's just remember though that the mediums are different. Part of the reason that the protectors got bought and they put, you know, they, they wanted me to release it at Comic-Con and they flew me to New York and gave me a little book release thing and I felt like I was the luckiest person on earth was because they renamed Aphrodite Way to The Protectors, which sounds an awful lot like 
something else that's superhero oriented and start and ends with an S, right? And because that movie had come out the year before, and they pretty much were just like, ooh, superheroes, yes. Unfortunately, my book really wasn't about superheroes. It was really about normal people in a real world where people don't wear capes and things. So it wasn't exactly, so you, know, you see that the comps aren't always direct when you start using movies. They don't always associate as well as you might think. But it's entirely appropriate to give thought to those things. Um, particularly since there is so much crossover now between media. Um, one more note about comps. Um, and this is kind of like a, I, I hate to say it's a hard and fast rule, but it kind of is. When you're comparing yourself to other literature, don't say you're like Shakespeare, don't say you're Stephen King, don't, like those things are so arrogant for a debut author to say, look at, Look at books by other debut authors when you're trying to find a uh, comp title, or you know, not the most successful people in the business. Because A, no one will believe it, and because you can't, you can't possibly compare yourself to J.K. Rowling on your first book. Like that's just nuts, and it will show a lack of professionalism, uh, and and a little bit maybe too much ego. Because agents care about whether or not you have an ego, even if you write a great book. If you're just a dick, they're not going to want to sign you. They're not going to want to work with you because you know why? There's 1,999 other people, and there's probably going to be a good one in there too. And they'd rather work with somebody that's humble, somebody that's professional, and somebody that, who understands their own abilities. So, um, so yeah, don't keep, you know, don't shoot for the moon on your comps. Oh, on the comps. Yeah. Also. Uh, Talk about the importance of them being within the same time frame. Yes, yes. Um, agents and editors don't want you, to, they're not going to want you to look at comps of books from like 2013, 2011. Anything, you know, anything beyond, I guess I'd say what, three years? Yeah. Anything beyond three years, the publishing industry was totally different 10 years ago, it was totally different 20 years ago. Like a hit from 2010 might not be a hit right now. So, Keep focused on current, you know, within the last few years when you try and find a competitive title. Yes? I wanted to add to the comp train here. Um, I, there's also this issue, too, with um, comparing yourself to something that's incredibly cliche and oversaturated. Mm -hmm. Because when I pitched last, it was an adventure memoir, and I had used Eat, Pray, Love, right? Mm -hmm. But it was like the timing of it, it had already been super saturated. Everybody was sick of it, and the agent was basically said, hey, just a learning opportunity. Do not bring up Eat, Pray, Love. We're so sick of hearing that. Right. <laughs> so, because then, and, and it looks like you're chasing a trend. It and, looks like, yeah, it's, it's not. it's a timing thing, yeah. like if you're at the front of it. It's, it's yeah. Like, yeah. No, and Eat, Pray, Love's probably gone through even even if it had only come out a couple of years prior, it had probably undergone two or three printings. Like, you know, it's, it's yeah, they want stuff more current. Well, this was during that time. It was during that time. Yeah, but it was But it, it's such a huge title. That's too, like saying Stephen King. It was King. too big, yeah, right. too big, too cliche. Right, there is, yeah. And God, I bet you that during that time period, when it was blowing up, that agents must have just been inundated with queries that mentioned Eat, Pray, Love. They pretty much said they were pretty sick. Right. You probably love it's a memoir, right? I mean, it's is it or is it yeah, considered fiction? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, just one last detail. So even if you say something like, 
It, it's like the, you know, um, Robert Ludlum's uh, The Born Identity series. Uh, don't even do that, do, because those are now being written posthumously by other people. Right. Uh, say The Born Identity series as written by the current author. Right. Um, so, 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 so again, it's that like within the last two years, who is currently doing that, even if that's still in your mm -hmm. world? I have a very specific. No, oh, it's just it's funny because we were at BoucherCon um, September of last year, and we were at a panel, and there were five writers on the panel, and they literally introduced them. Okay, and today we have Tom Clancy, Vince Flynn, uh, like like all of the you know, Robert Ludlum. It's like all the ghost writers that now write those books. All those guys are dead, you know. Like all of those writers are dead, but there are books coming out with their names on them by ghost writers. Not really ghostwriters. They're, no, they're, 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 they're credited, but the, you know the yeah, first she, name on there, like the girl with the dragon tattoo. Obviously, Steve, Steve Larson, Larson died, but that series is continued by another author, like twelve books in. James Bond. James Bond. Yeah. James, yeah. So just if you're doing that, like a major. What was your question? Uh, well, my question is, it, it, it seems a little bit contradictory that um, what you said about the eat, pray, love. And then you said, don't chase the trend. But then you use the example of your book as being sort of in a trend. So does that mean that perhaps you should just leave it to the agent to make that connection rather than, than jumping on something that's too saturated? Or uh, is it just a line that you need to walk and finesse? And finesse? Yeah, I mean, you can't really control You're going to write the book you're going to roll. You're going to write it. And it might be similar to something that's out in the marketplace now. I did not think that my own book was a copy of the Avengers. It's not even close. But when publishing companies are looking for a marketing tie-in, when they're looking for ways to sell it, they might make that association. But at that point, I've already sold the book and they've already written me a check, so you do what you do. <laughs> you know, it didn't help me, but it's it's you can't control that. So, but yeah, I never, you know, that's what agents will tell you. Um, when Twilight came out, four years, people wrote books about vampires and just deluged agents with them. That's chasing a trend. Okay. That's, generally speaking, not a way to be successful. Okay, I get it, yeah. So, okay. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. What else do we have about this one? Um, the woman who wrote this also had some short fiction credits. But basically, she's, you know, at that time was a housewife in suburban Chicago. Um, she did this query. She pitched to an agent, and the agent gave her a, um, an offer of representation. Within a few months, they uh, pitched to all, you know, the big five, the big, the big houses, and somebody, so many people expressed interest that uh, they did an auction for the rights. And she got, I think it was high six figures for just the American rights, and she got mid six figures for the English rights, for the, um, for the British, yeah, worldwide. And then she got film options, and basically she won the lottery. This is what we all want. Like when you think about becoming a writer, this is the top, 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 top level of what you could even hope to dream of. And that is, you sit at home, you write a book, and it becomes a worldwide bestseller. Huge hit. And she's one of the coolest people I know, and is totally, totally not 
a diva about it. She dials in for writing groups. I've had her come in to dial in to my writing group of like seven people, and she's happy to do it, and she loves to talk to people about it because I think she knows. Like she, she hit the lottery. She was on the Today Show. They had a thing in New York Times, I mean, uh, in, uh, Times Square, an ad for her book, four stories tall. I mean, this is this is how you hit the big time. This will not happen for any of us, probably. <laughs> Just law of averages. But it does happen. Write a good book, it finds an audience, and great things can happen. So, what do you got, Louie? Is it not from bidding more? Same thing. Okay. Same thing. If more than one publisher wants it, a smart agent will just say, okay, we'll take it to auction. They inform the however many have done it, and then they just do it blind. And then each each one, and it, it, sometimes it's blind, and sometimes, sometimes I think you do it live, where people can outbid one another. I haven't had that problem. Yeah. <laughs> I've also not had that problem. So. Yes. Yeah. So it says here, this is her query letter, but it says, Prior to that, she received uh, full manuscript requests from acquiring publishers. So she got her agent after the uh, acquiring editor. Yeah, she got it. She. Yeah. I'm trying That's to remember. It's not the usual route, but but because she had had people from HarperCollins and Sourcebooks ask for it, that's just a super super slam dunk. Yeah, so thing to put at the bottom to get them to read page one. Do you know, I mean, how did she get the editors to look at it before the agent? I think that it was part of, I think it was part of something she did online, like a contest of some kind. I don't, or, I don't remember it because I, I asked her that question. I was like, how the hell did you swing this before I even knew, you know, before I even worked on this query. So there's a yeah, yeah. Uh, Harper Voyager does that too. Um, so yeah, I think that that's what she she basically got in a, in a window and got a request. So nothing came of it because those those things are I've done those before where they ask for unagented submissions and then ten thousand people send it and if you get a college kid on a weekend where they're drunk and they're going through that slush and. Um, Story about an octopus to know that, and then they move on. Like yeah, yeah. They, they're not even giving it the consideration an agent would. So it doesn't surprise me that nothing came of it. Right, and I guarantee you, Harper Collins probably bid on it once once it came time, yeah. and they probably yeah. could have had it for twenty grand. <laughs> I mean, it's but that's again luck. Sometimes luck is a big is a big factor. Right, luck and timing. Yes. So this is a nitty gritty one, but I'm seeing some formatting differences between yes. the letters where it's, you know, summer in caps, summer in italic. Is there a specific yeah. style guide we should be looking at, or does it depend on who we're sending it to? They don't really give you style guide. Like agencies, if you look at a particular agent, mm -hmm. their agency might have style guides okay. for it. Um, but I've seen hundreds, if not thousands of query letters, and they're all in one. As long as it's consistent. Right. Now, I've seen people um, all caps their character names. I've seen people, you know, uh, all caps book titles. Um, but I, I don't think it really makes a difference. Because again, the hook is what they're really looking at. And the hook is done just like any other writing you would do. But I want to say that it looks a little unprofessional to my eye. Right. Just, yeah. and, and, and I, I think that would. If I were the agent, I would think, hmm, I'm going to have to work. This person's going to re require, uh, may require some real work. 
Yeah. I mean, it's do it, do it the way you're accustomed to seeing it. Do it the way you would like to see it, as long as it falls within the, the Chicago style, you know, Chicago manual style. I mean, it, you know, I wouldn't all caps the book title. Yeah, as I look back to my query going, I didn't do that, did I? No, I did not. But before there was italics. Yeah, yeah. Typically, typically italics is, and that's why she uses italics when she, when she mentions the other, the comp titles in paragraph one. But she, she took a chance and it didn't hurt. Yeah, I don't hate that, that one title being right. captured. Oh, so and before I forget, that brings up a really good point. There are four query letters here. One of them, that actually was the title of the book when it came out, and it's this one, Remarkably Bright Creatures. Every single other title, or every single other book, the title was changed. Never get attached to your title. There's a very high likelihood the publisher will choose their own because the title of your book is a marketing decision. It's not, a, it's not an editorial decision. It's because the publishers believe they know how to title a book that will sell better. So mine was changed because they said Aphrodite sounded too much like romance. Um, you know, you see that uh, the second one, the sci-fi novel, with that Spears Vengeance, vengeance is kind of a harsh word sometimes for a title, changed to the poppy war. You know, it changed to something that was about the all-encompassing nature of, of the conflict. And it was also a series, so the Poppy War, book one, is better than Spears' Vengeance, I would imagine. What did the switch do? Um, I don't remember. Oh, that, what the end. No, no uh, the switch is, we, we actually, the three of us know the author. And I don't remember, I don't remember what she changed it to. But it was not the switch. Because the switch is kind of generic. How many times have you seen that? No, I think it's saying that the switch is comparable to. It's written a little confusing. Yeah. I thought that at first, too, that it was a comp title, but oh, that's okay. the actual title of the book. But I made the same mistake. Oh, yeah, and she did it in all caps as well. The switch is an exploration of motherhood. But yeah, they changed that. And, uh, and But think about it again. That title might mean a lot to you. But they're totally looking at his marketing and how many books have been called The Switch, how many movies have been called The Switch. So they wanted something more unique, something that could stand apart, and something that when you do a book search on the internet, doesn't pull up three or four other books by other authors. That's a big deal. Like, you know, when I came out with The Protectors, I was the only person that had that. But very, in very short order, the guy who wrote The Gray Man, I think, you know, he's slightly more successful than me. Um, he came out with a book called The Protectors. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, yeah. yeah, by mistakes, and then they'll return it. But yes. They're going to look at that one, and then they see, we've seen um, books really bump up in sales after a big book comes out with the same title. And that can be a good thing. I'll take any sale that I can get. <laughs> by Trey Dowell. It's available on Kindle for $4.99, just in case you were wondering. Um, and that's an example of how it really pays to choose your agent wisely. And we'll talk about that just a little bit. I'm going to give you 10 minutes of that, and then we're taking a break. Okay? I know probably people are getting antsy. But agents are awesome. You want an agent. Okay? You don't want just anyone. Um, and the, when it comes time, once you've got that, once you subscribe to Publishers Marketplace, um, there's a strategy to querying, okay? It's not 
find 50 agents, send an email blast to 50 of them, even if you personalize each one to the 50, it's a huge mistake to do that. And I'll tell you why. Start with a small number. Start with five. And when you start with those five, consider those five. Give yourself a range on those agents. Give one of the five can be a super big time agent that has lots of great deals and has made a lot of money. Okay? Have two more be agents that don't rank in the top 10 in the genre. And then have two more that are maybe newer agents. And the way you find that is through Publishers Marketplace or Agent Query. It'll tell you how long an agent's been working. It'll tell you how many deals they've done. Get a range, okay? Because here's what happens in the real world when you query and somebody gives you an offer. And you need to be prepared for this. This is why we do this forethought ahead of time. What happens when an agent sends you back an email and says, hey, I'm really interested in this. I loved your full that I requested. I want to represent you. After you scream and yell and drink heavily and you're super excited, the first thing you need to do is um, email the four people that haven't responded and say, I've achieved, I've, I've, you know, I've received an offer of representation. Guess what happens to you once you do that? The agents that will take 90 days, 120 days to respond to you, or maybe won't even respond at all. The instant they see that you received an offer, your name goes to the very top of the reading list and they read your story next. And they read your query next. They, they read your work next. Because every agent is terrified that another agent has discovered a diamond in the rough. A new debut author no one's ever heard of. Now they've got an offer. Well, shit, I have to read their stuff right now and see if I want to make an offer too. So that's what you do. And that's why you don't do one at a time. Because if you do one at a time and you wait and they say yes, you've got nothing, you've got no other irons in the fire. You've got nobody else to go to. And you can get one of those newbie agents that's looking for somebody and is actively trying to get somebody who maybe doesn't have Quite as high a, a email, a, uh, you know, a, an inbox stack as these really experienced agents, they give you that offer. You can leverage that to get the best agent in the field looking at your stuff, and then they maybe give you an offer. And then, and even if you don't get an offer, what you will get by doing five at a time is you'll get hopefully feedback. You'll hopefully, get a response that says, "Sorry, I'm going to pass on this. Um, you know, not enough, not enough conflict." I don't like your main character. I don't like, like, they might give you just a little tidbit of why they're rejecting you. You use that information to change the query and redo it for the next five. Your query will get better as you query. If you query 100 people at one time, and I'm not kidding you, that happens, you lose that opportunity. You don't get another chance. You can't re-query them later. You don't get the ability to make your query better. So do it in small groups, A, so you can make your query better for the next five, and B, so that if you do get an offer, you instantly leverage that into other people maybe offering. And then you have a choice of agents, and you're super, super cool because I never had that. <laughs> How long would you recommend waiting before we consider it to be uh, uh, a rejection? rejection by non-response? 
Um, they'll usually tell you on the website, like, if you don't hear from us by X, your work isn't right for us. Um, but if you don't, like, and also on agent query, you'll find average response times for agents. Uh, there, there's sub-menus in different areas of the site. You'll be able to find that information. You'll get an idea of what other people are seeing as their rejection time from X agent. So by virtue of that, you'll have a pretty good idea of whether or not you're getting turned down or not. Yes. So say something, the incredible does happen, and you do leverage the one to get the other four to take another look, and then you get multiple, or like, you're, or you're waiting on those responses. You know you're hoping and praying that you'll actually end up getting those. How long is sort of how long can you wait on how long the, can you wait on the on like the one or two yeses right. or like I'm yeah, interested yeah. before they're like okay they're not going to sign with me um, just you put that in the request you say listen I've had an offer of representation um, if, if you you know if you can look at my pitch again let me know if you're interested by next week uh, you give them a deadline and as well as the person uh, you're right. responding to like listen I do have another I, I'm excited to meet with you and, and thanks for the offer of representation I do have uh, some other queries out, uh, just so you know, and, and I'm waiting on that. But in the meantime, you have an interview with them. Right. I, I would set it. I would set a, a date on it to the agent that just offered you, and just say, you know, thank you very much. I'm excited to talk to you, just as he said. But um, because all agents get if you're simultaneously submitting, and just say, I have, you know, outstanding submissions. I is it is it all right? Ask them. Is it all right if I get back to you by Friday? Okay. And then. That, you know, don't just give them a date arbitrarily. Ask them if that's okay. In 99% of the time, they will say that's fine. I understand. Like no, no. If because, they are, you don't. Yeah, if they are, yeah, that's a big red flag. If an agent's like, oh, I've deigned grant you a request, and you spit in my face, no, that should not happen. You don't. You name names. No, no. Do not okay. name names. No. Um, they don't need to know. So. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You don't don't name me. You just say I have an offer. Okay. And I feel like it's incumbent upon me to say this. Don't lie. <laughs> don't don't. I, I've just given you this. Oh, this is how you get everybody to read your stuff first. Well, hmm. If what this dill hole is saying is correct, I can just say to ten different agents, I've just had an offer of representation. Don't do it. They will find out. You will look like an idiot. You will be banned. You will be. Have all kinds of black marks next to your name, and no agent will want to touch you. Only do it if you really get an offer. In your example response to the person who said yes, mm -hmm. um, you mentioned like, uh, "I'll get back to." You. Is it okay if I get back to you by Friday? Mm -hmm. Meaning about accepting the offer, but not about you yeah. want to set an interview before then. No, it's no? Okay. it's. I wouldn't interview with the person until you've got your responses back, because okay. if you do get other responses back and somebody else's, then you have two people you need to talk to. Don't, like, don't set a meeting until you, you know who's, who's in play. Thank you. If you do that, or would you set the meeting anyway? <coughs> well, I, I guess mean, it doesn't matter. Mark, it's it's kind of like dating. I mean, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, cause you're still gonna interview them either way. And you don't have to make a decision on the phone call with them. You kind of leave it like, here's what I kind of envision, this is how I work, blah, blah, blah. Thank you very much. Who else do you represent? Um, you know, um, where do you see this going out? Awesome. I still do have, um, you know, I am waiting on one or two. I'm talking with two other people, so I'll let you know. Um, 
So it can be it can be either kind of you know how you do business. And yeah, are there agent red flags? So like I know um, when Gar was on the panel, he mentioned that he, his first agent was a good, really good agent, but he was always sort of lackluster on on Gar's work, and Gar felt he wasn't selling it as as well as he probably could have because he wasn't as interested. So like. Um, in these in these agent interviews, especially for like first time people who who d have never had an agent and don't really know what signs to look out for or look for, what sort of things would you guys recommend? Um, I, and we can talk about this offline just because oh, okay. I, like I can give you the, the list that I gave, um, which I you know it was a great list and I didn't pay attention. I was just like yes yes yes. <laughs> um, but you do need to ask questions like. Um, some of the big ones, I think, are what do you see as um, uh, this book meaning from an editorial standpoint before we submit? Because agents generally don't just take your work and just give it to publishers right after you give it to them. They go through that with you. Some agents are very editorial, and they will give you a marked up manuscript back just like a publisher would that's just full of things that they want you to address. Punctuation, line edit stuff, or maybe story edit stuff too. Some agents do that. Mine did, Norms didn't. But you would want to know that before you chose an agent. Like, you know, talk to me about the process. How close to being ready to submit to publishers do you think I am? And they'll be honest with you and they'll tell you. What publishers do you see this as being a fit for? Who are you going to approach first? You know, how many deals have you made in the last 12 months? You should already know this by virtue of signing up with Publishers Marketplace, but ask them because maybe they don't tell you the truth. Like, those are questions I would ask. What else would you ask? Just how many clients they represent, yeah. especially in that genre with, with whatever you're doing. Um, kind of want to know, uh, like I think you said, Gar said, he, my guess is, uh, I think I remember Gar was with Aaron Priest, which was like the best like mystery uh, agent for years and years and years. But then he had a huge stable and you know, so so is so if you're the debut author and you were lower on the tier, you probably didn't get as much attention. Yeah. Do you want to be one of fifty or do you want to be one of ten? You know, one of fifty of the best guy in the business or one of ten of, you know, maybe a woman that's like sixtieth percentile in sales. I now that's for you, but that's different. Yeah, that's really different. I would probably prefer to be a smaller fish. I mean, a, a bigger fish in a smaller pond. But that's just me. Anybody else? All right, let's take five minutes. All right, we're going to go ahead and move to Luann, and then we'll come back to Jessica when she comes back, because I can't, because we're, we've only got about 45 minutes, so I want to get to everybody. Mm -hmm. All right, if you could, um, do you have more than one copy, or just have one? I can read it from my phone. Okay. That would be great. Okay. What are those fools now? Right. Dear Amy Foley, Shedding Cats is a story of a technical writer with too many cats who survives a workplace shooting. Sheila, 27, emerges from the COVID shutdown with 10 cats, one for each failed dating app match. To avoid dating more Silicon Valley nurse, she sees she's seeing a married man every Tuesday. She knows she must break out of her post-COVID rut. A workplace shooting forces her to do more than get rid of a few cats to reclaim her life. Shedding Cats is a completed manuscript 
at 74,000 words. It is up to date. I'm getting back. A completed manuscript at 74,000 words is contemporary of market women's fiction. Imagine a thinking woman's cross between Olive Kitteridge and Beatrice. Protagonists write short stories that are eerily predict the future, interspersed with their humorous memories of the awkward dates that led to each cat's adoption. For stories held for tackle issues like abortion and violence, misogyny, crazy coworkers, and a single woman's need for health insurance. I have published two novel, literary fiction novels, Blind Mind and Primrose in November. I'm a member of the Authors Guild of the California Writers Club. I work as a journalist, news and features, a newspaper columnist, and a technical writer. Flying Mind was a finalist for the Amazon Breakthrough Novel Award and won the best novel in Science Dynamic Writers Conference. My short stories have been part of the Carry the Life of Fault Line anthologies. I had reprints in Reader's Digest Parenting Magazine, have been featured on various blogs, attached are a synopsis and the first five pages of Shedding Cats. Thanks in advance for your time. I look forward to meeting you in Santa Barbara. My name, phone number, and website. Okay, that's good. All right, um, everybody I hope was listening. Anyone have any thoughts? I want to hear what you think before I talk about what I think. Go ahead. I, I would have liked to see the humor. She said it's a humorous writing. I would like to see an example. I felt like the, there was a bit of pride uh, that, that probably could have been tightened up. But then when you say you know a workforce shoot, are you shooting forces for, I thought, OK, well, now I'm, I'm interested in learning more about that. Yeah. OK. Anybody else? Yeah, um, yeah, I was feeling the humor right up front. Uh, the second workplace shooting came into it, uh, I was totally thrown. And uh, I mean, it seems like such a traumatic. Obviously, if that's fundamental to, to the book, that's important. Then I think I would I would go top heavy with uh, the, the genre. Like, this is a completed genre. Of, you know, the, like put that at the top so that you're setting the tone before the synopsis. Because I thought it was a huge tone shift in the uh, description mm -hmm. of the story. Anybody else? Nathan. Yeah, I thought it was a bit jarring how you go from humor to workplace shooting and then back to humor and then like focused on like um, how she got e each one of the cats. I was something as sort of like visceral as the workplace shooting. I would have thought that you would have, or that that would have been a huge part of like the like the conflict or like or like her own internal struggle that would have broached like how she deals with it afterwards like and if she deals with breakups by getting cats how does she deal with a workplace shooting get a lion like um, so like I was more curious about that than wanting more humor I guess okay anybody All right I think you're seeing a, a decent pattern and I'm gonna and I'll give you my two cents and that is yes workplace shooting is a bomb Okay, it's a bomb, it has a, a ton of connotation, a ton of trauma associated with it, and it's, it's heavy. So when you have the very first sentence, you know, Shedding Cats is a story of a technical writer with too many cats. And right now, I'm getting a picture of that character. And in fact, I wouldn't, you know, if you're, I'm tearing this up like an editor, I would say, don't do Shedding Cats. Don't do Shedding Cats is a story of Sheila, is a technical writer with too many cats. See, we're starting with the character, we're starting with the hook, we're going right into it. Now, you have this, this 
you know, it's one tiny little paragraph right here at the top. It's probably 75 words for your hook. And then after that, you start saying, shutting cast is a completed manuscript. You don't give us enough. It's rare that I see this. Most people give too much. We're not seeing enough of your novel. I know there's humor in it, and I see it in here. You know, one for each failed dating app match. That's beautiful stuff. That's what we need to see more of in here. And it's okay, like, you have so little of your story in here that it's okay to, like, I mean, is there a, um, is there uh, a, um, somebody she falls in love with? All right, you know. Let's use this to kind of go from her as a character to what she wants, which is to meet someone, and it can, you can bring him or her into it as well. But think about how that bomb of a workplace shooting, when you leave with it, is so like, ugh. If you leave this as humorous, and then at the end kind of build to, you know, her life is just a, a lot of crazy, you know, uh, stuff that makes people laugh. Fill a workplace shooting. You know, like, like okay. build to it if you need that workplace shooting in there. If it's something that, you know, until something tragic happens at work that could change her life forever. You don't even say workplace shooting. Yeah. But uh, you see what I'm saying? Build to a climactic choice or event rather than mention it in the very first sentence, which saps tension from your query. And in fact, might even put people off of it. See what I mean? Um, you could. I want you to build up that, that stuff about Sheila and, and the hook part of it, at least double it, at least. You can go two, three paragraphs of that. And here's where I know you have the humor too, because you kind of keep going with the, with the hook stuff in your talking about the book paragraph. When you say her stories help her tackle issues like abortion, gun violence, misogyny, crazy coworkers, and a single woman's need for health insurance. Like that's, that, I get that that's going to be your voice in this novel. Put that up in there, but don't talk about it in terms of her stories help her tackle issues. Sheila tackles issues like, see what I mean? Make it more active. Um, you know, Sheila's day-to-day -day adventures, you know, tackle issues like, and I wouldn't list six or seven of them like either, but you see what I'm saying? If we need to start with Sheila. Then we talk about what she's, you know, what she's trying to accomplish in her life or in, you know, at work, and then it, then we go again about conflict, and then leading up to something critical. In what, at what point in the book does the workplace shooting happen? It's two thirds of the way in. Oh my God, it's perfect. Okay, and this is another thing I'm going to tell you about the hook oh, that I didn't mention before. I think I might have said, don't give too much in the hook, yeah. and that's important. But here's the Here's the actual, you know, the actionable advice on that. When I say don't go too much, it's, you can pretty much divide any novel that you write into part one, part two, part three. Act one, act two, act three. Never go into act three. Okay? Don't go that far. So you want to take people into act two at the most. Probably not even to the end of act two. That's the end of it. So in your case, that's such a critical thing that I would kind of build up to Something that, you know, like um, in the, let's see, in one of the queries that worked, I remember something uh, toward the end, I think it was in um, Charlotte's, 
Yeah, the, the obsession turns to be or whatever the cost is of the one price you might not be willing to pay. That's kind of nebulous, but if you lead yours up into, you know, all of this comes into play on the one day that everything is going to change. You know what I mean? Like, okay, you, yeah. you build it to that climactic moment. You know, they have, you can hide workplace shooting a little bit. Um, again, this isn't a synopsis. We don't want to tell the agent everything that happens. We just want to get him interested. And the fact that this is humorous, but then leads to something that may change the way she looks at humor forever. That's some stakes, okay? Now we have stakes, we have character, we have conflict. Okay? Can I just... Sure. I just, you, you, like, that was a, an aha for me, too, is movie trailers. The best ones stop at act two. And the most annoying ones just... Show you the whole movie. Thing. There's no bigger guarantee that I won't see a movie than a trailer that gives away too much of the plot. I mean, that was like a perfect parallel. Right. Um, you have some great, great... By the way, that was like really awesome. Never right. thought of that, and that's yeah. huge. Thank you. Good oh. Hey, and that's why you come. Yeah. Um, so you have some great credits, okay? Better than most. Um, I still, you, you devote a lot of time to it, and you also do some weird formatting where well, they, some of the stuff they is. printed that out, so I'm okay, not sure okay. what happened. Good, good, good. Because one thing that we that, that you promise me you will all devote yourself to is no weird fonts, no, no differing the fonts, no dear agents, uh, you know, none of that. You, you promise me that because you will all make me look bad if you if you do one of the crazy bad things. Um, and I have a reputation. <laughs> um, I love your I love your credits. Okay, the one about flying blind in particular um, was a finalist for the Amazon Breakthrough Novel Award. Effing kidding me? Yeah, that goes in here. But put it up with flying blind. You have it separated out. Okay. So I published two literary fiction novels: Flying Blind, a crop duster story, and then commented a finalist for the Amazon Breakthrough Novel Award in whatever year. Okay. That's one. Then move on to a primrose in November. And just briefly say that. And then the, I'm a member of the Authors Guild of California Writers Club. I don't even, you're so accomplished with those. I think saying, I've also worked as a journalist and a newspaper columnist and a technical writer. I, I almost don't need that. I would need that if I didn't have two published literary fiction novels. The fact that the main character is a technical writer? Yes. In normal circumstances? Okay. Absolutely. You've got two published novels, one of which won an Amazon designation. Okay. I don't think you need that line, but, you know. Um, okay, does that help? That's the, yeah, her comment, the, the agent's comments are on the back. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to know how to get her, but. Sure, can I read this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what, yeah. Okay, start more with the character. Right. Talk about her life and the challenges she faces. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Good job. Good job. Good job. It's hard. It's hard to get up and have your stuff read. If you haven't yet this week, I encourage everybody to do it. How many people have shared their work since they've been here? This week or no? <laughs> Is that ever? You have work to do, sir. All right. I'm glad to see that. I'm glad to see that. All right. We're going to go to Jessica next. Um, I only have one copy of the query letter. That's okay. Read it. And then after that, you hand it to me. Or actually, can I just read it? And that way I have something to... Yeah. Do you not want me to mark on it at all? Oh, no, go ahead. It's okay. just the agent printed it out. That's the only reason I have a copy. Gotcha. Okay. 
Orange in the Sky is a historical fiction and coming-of-age novel about two teenagers in a tiny town in rural Florida in 1956 who form an unlikely friendship. Hallie is an illiterate, red, an illiterate redneck, that's a good tongue twister, determined to protect her brother from their homophobic father. Zadie is a highly educated black girl from Boston whose teachers describe her as a genius. Hallie and Zadie become obsessed with a local legend about a diamond buried in a coffin. They are determined to find it. In a vastly different world, Florida of 1913, a different time and a different society but the same tiny town, a white boy falls in love with a black girl. Terry grew up in a mansion by the lake. Sybil grew up in a hut on the other side. Their love affair is immediately forbidden by Terry's family, but the lovers don't know the whole reason, that they are actually brother and sister. Meanwhile, in 1956, Hallie and Zabie delve into the mystery of the diamond, and in the process, they discover Terry and Sybil's secrets. The resultant story is one of mystery and revenge, love and hate, and the many odd contradictions and buried secrets in the strange history of Florida. Ultimately, it is a reflection on humanity and prejudice and the bond that unites us all. The novel is 110,000 words. And then you have, I'm a filmmaker and writer from Maitland, Florida. I graduated from Stanford University. Oh, she's not smart. In 2004, uh, and received my MFA in filmmaking from USC in 2010. I have worked in independent filmmaking for 13 years while writing this novel on the side. In 2007, I received the Jacob J. Javits Fellowship in the Art Jacob in the arts. My work is placed in many film festivals, the Nicole Screenwriting Contest, uh, the Zoetrope Screenwriting Contest, and the Raymond Carver Short Story Contest. I am a passionate teller of tales. Thank you so much for considering this one. Okay. There's a lot of stuff in here. Right? Let's... Edit it. <laughs> All right. So she does some good things in here, and she does some things that we probably want to address. So who wants to give their thoughts? Anyway. Rachel? Yeah. I, I missed the first sentence, by the way. Um, Orange in the Sky is a historical fiction and coming-of-age novel about two teenagers in a tiny town in rural Florida in 1956 who form an unlikely friendship. Okay, cool. I, 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 um, I think it's really interesting about the, the brother-sister. I, I, I would say, is it you? Who did it? You? Okay, sorry. I want to make the right eye contact. So. I'm not the brother. In <laughs> so your brother. It's not a memoir. <laughs> Um, I would say um, th three things that stuck out for me. One is that I would love a little bit more of your writer's voice and style to set it apart because it felt more like a synopsis and you were giving a lot of details. The brother-sister, and I, I am curious about where that's revealed because it feels like that could be a hook but you don't want to give that all away if that isn't something that's discovered towards the end. And then when you said, I'm it it's cool that you're a filmmaker and I like the multimedia background. But when you said the trigger for me was like writing this on the side, it makes it sound like you're not a serious writer. And I know you are, because you're here. So I think more texture and details to make the, the setting and the characters alive and less synopsis and summary. Okay. Really good job being brave and sharing your queries. <laughs> so I had the privilege of hearing some of this novel yesterday, and I feel like what, what we all reacted to in the workshop was where the product is. And so yeah. I think getting that yeah. vibe in there and yes. some of your lyrical writing, I know you can't put imagery into a queer letter, but the, the lyrical way that you write, I think in the hook is gonna just hold them in. Yeah, that texture isn't there, and I thought of where the crowd is. Yeah, it's really, yeah, and I'm sure you have that style. Mm -hmm. Was that in, was the cop in there? Go ahead. 
Uh, there was not a comp in there. I don't. I don't know if that one's too saturated, but that is yeah. 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 solid. Yeah, go ahead. I think that, also having heard it, yeah, definitely getting some more of your imagery that you typically write with in there would be cool. And I also think using the remarkably bright creatures example might actually be helpful because if you have two main characters, which it sounds like you do, and then depending on where it falls in your book, the realization of what happened in the town's history could be like, I don't know, something less cheesy, but like the fateful the relationship of two members of the township, however long ago it was discovered by them, and you know, that led to this. Like, I, I think it would be, I think that the discovery of that past love affair is really important and interesting to your plot, probably, but maybe something to be alluded to more than said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Brother and sister might be too far into act two. When do we find out that they're brother and sister? Not until probably when you best do. Okay. All right. Um, in your, uh, sorry, in the set, um, you, you set up in the hook and everything, you uh, you set up the fact that you look actually a local legend about a diamond. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, it's a reflection on humanity and prejudice. Yeah. So the, the stakes end up being not, the diamond is not a, a treasure far more valuable than, you know, than they could have ever imagined. The, the, Rather than the diamond, the stakes become so much bigger. Okay. Like sort some sort of reflection of the stakes at the end. I guess is what I'm looking for at the end of the summary. Okay. Yeah. Actually, in the um, meetings with agents, all five of them asked, "What are the stakes? Mm -hmm. And what are the club titles?" Okay. All right. That's the trend. So yeah, definitely a trend. Um, absolutely, what some of the people have said, I agree with, and that is, it felt like a synopsis. It felt like dry synopsis. When I see a sentence like "they are determined to find it," that's you know, you're, there's none of you in that. That's just rote description of what the plot is. So, um, and you've got a complex story. Obviously, I can't be the first person to say that. But you, I think, are one of the few people that warrant having four named characters in your in your query. Normally, you want to keep it, you know, one or two. But your story is really fundamentally about two different couples. Um, I think that the Remarkably Bright Creatures one is a very good comparison because it has three points of view. I would almost like to see this done in a structure of maybe there's one to two paragraphs about Haley and Zadie, Allie and Zadie, and one to two paragraphs about Terry and Sybil, and then a conclusion paragraph of how those stories intertwine because there has to be some commonality. Um, and then it needs to build to, you know, possibly that you know there that there are family secrets that could you know that could affect everything. You know what I mean? If yeah. if, that, if that brother and sister is a key plot point, then we need to build to it. If there are other ones, if the diamond like the diamond is mentioned, and then it and then we kind of it kind of goes away. Toward the end, you start to get into not showing us them, not showing us the novel, telling us the novel. Because you start saying things like, it is a reflection on humanity and prejudice. It is about the bond that unites us all. That's all stuff you want to be shown in the text, in the hook, not not used in declarative sentences. And you are not the only person that does that. This looks like somebody wrote a query letter for the first time. Hell, mine was worse than this. I mean, and here's the great thing. I mean, you can share whatever news you want with people, but you're writing accomplished something this week, didn't it? 
So he requested a full. But that's on the strength of your writing. I guarantee you it wasn't on the strength of the grammar. That's strength. <laughs> <laughs> because this this shows you what this is has a lot of those things. But here's the great thing about why it's important to come to a conference. You can make a mistake in a query. It doesn't matter. You pay money for them to read your work. There's no pressure when you're doing a query for a conference in a lot of ways because they are supposed to read your work. But in a, in a level playing field with thousands of other writers, this is what gets them to read the work, not 20, 35, 40 bucks. So that's why I want this to be more of what you know comes after. I've heard amazing things about your writing, so I know there's I know that there is writing that is you, and there's writing that's a synopsis. This is synopsis. Some some little things that you definitely want. I my ears perked up at. You definitely want to, don't want to say on the side. Okay. It's you know you've worked on this novel for 13 years while you've been working in independent filmmaking. Um, absolutely not. I am a passionate teller of tales. Okay. Because that's that's like it's just it it sounds unprofessional. Okay. Because again, you're showing them that you're a passionate teller teller of tales by virtue of writing a great book. Thank you so much for considering this one. It's great. That's a great end. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say this one because this one ties back to the I'm a passionate teller of tales. But thank you so much for your in advance for your time and consideration. That's a good way to close. It's generic and, you, and you're, you're safe. Yes, I would like to see in that one. You have a one sentence paragraph that is the novel is 110,000 words. I would mix your. You know, I would, this is where I would give your title. Orange in the Sky is a 110,000 word historical fiction novel set in Florida over multiple decades. And think about how it changes if you don't do Orange in the Sky here and you just start with Hallie is an illiterate redneck. Yeah. Like, let's get into it right out of the gate. Yeah. Um, because you have such a, a different structure, um, and because what you're doing tells me that it's set in rural Florida, I mean, and it's, and um, it's not really about just the two teenagers. It's about four different people. Am I wrong or am I right? Okay. So don't pin it down to the two teenagers in that. You know, that's why I don't want you to go with this original two-sentence paragraph. I'd rather you show the hook all at once. Everything I say, just a recommendation. Like, there is no one right way to do this. And hopefully, by virtue of being here today, you've seen that. There is no one right way. There's lots of different styles on a theme. But the theme is super important. And that's the hook. You know, conflict, characters, building to a, a critical moment in a relationship or a life, and then stopping. <laughs> then offering your comps and your agent personalization. There's no personalization in here. But that's okay. You, you were sending it to Bonky, and that's and you sent it, I guess, to all four or five. Right? You didn't need as much personalization here. But when you go into the blind and you start submitting to agents out there, you've got to have that paragraph about I chose you because you are the right agent for this work, or this this work is right for you because. Super important to have that. Um, yeah, I mean, we could go, I, I don't want to tear into too much because we're short on time, but I know for a fact that I, that you can describe Hallie and Zadie and the, and the Diamond and what they do using, you know, your voice. Okay. Okay? I'm not trying to be too harsh. I'm not being too harsh. But 
she'll draw that conclusion after she after she reads the hook. Okay, and you've got next you have in the tradition of, and that this is it's just another way to do your comps. He's doing his comp titles here with naming uh, you know the uh, two different authors and two different books. Um, I give you my fault to grace is very, you know, just say my fault from law to grace you know, is a 80,000 word manuscript, you know, memoir, uh, you know, uh, be specific. I would wait on doing this part with the, with the book name and all of that until after you do the hook. Because you just went from, I was drawn to you because you wanted Manuscripts that wouldn't be rolling in a few years. Now, boom, go into you know Los Angeles, um, and do it like don't do it in third per, in uh, in first person like you're saying. It begins with my I Kelly, like you just do it just like we've been doing um, everything else. It's going to be in third person, not first person. And the reason I'm doing this and not asking Kirby's opinion is because we're, we're, we're running short on time, so we need to get through it so we can get to more and more people. It's bad on me for not keeping my eye on the clock. Um, the stuff you have here about the federal prison fraud charges resulted from a friend who betrayed me, that's gold. It's gold, and I've told you this before. You've got a story that is unique. Start with you as Kelly. And Kelly is an immigration lawyer, if I'm correct? Yes. Yes. Start with Kelly is an immigration lawyer in, you know, whatever, what, 2005 Los Angeles. Right? Tell it like a story. Tell it like um, in, you know, using your own personal voice. Mm -hmm. Don't, because doing it like this is distant. Right. Doing it the other way is immediate and makes me feel the story just like I would be. Because that's what a memoir is. It's a story of you. But it's still a story. It still needs to have narrative. Um, and then if you do that and bring people through, this is you at the start. This is, you know, and then there's this betrayal. Because the betrayal is early. Yeah. You know? We're not hiding anything. That's really the crux of the whole novel. So it's okay to mention that at the very beginning and then... You know what? What is arrayed against you? Well, geez, prisons day. Yeah. I mean, this is golden stuff. But what I'm seeing here is passive narration right. rather than narrative. Absolutely. Okay. Build that up, and then what's you know what's the point you want to leave? What's the movie trailer climax that you want to leave it at? You know, and for me, I haven't read the I haven't read all of it. I've heard a lot of it during sessions, but. You want to build to the, you know, is this going to destroy me as a person, right. as so many people that go through prison and go through this kind of betrayal, mm -hmm. or will it find me a, a way to a new life, right. a life beyond the trauma that I've suffered, or that he, that Kelly has suffered? Right. See what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you build it to that action, mm -hmm. now you've got a story that makes <coughs> that makes the agent want to go further. Right. This is and. You know, summarizing your own work as is generally not something you want to do. You want the writing to show it. So when you say a darkly comic, psychological, and spiritual healing journey, mm -hmm. I should know that mm -hmm. by reading your book. Okay. You should spend that 250 words mm -hmm. being darkly comic, okay. being you know, and and hinting 
at spiritual healing beyond right. what lies on the page. Right. Okay? Mm -hmm. Right. And then I want you to cut back on the credits of who you are a sure. lot. Yes. Two, three sentences. Pick your two or three most impactful ones. Okay. Not the social media. Not, yeah, not the social media one. No. Because 500 Twitter followers is an immediate, like, shh, exactly. done. Exactly. So, yeah, they don't need to know that. Let them experience your writing. Exactly. Okay? Okay. All right. Go ahead. Next Last week. I know, like you are kind of connected. All right, Amy Clark. I don't have a topic. Read. You're good. Two women on the opposite side of the law, a homicide inspector and a troubled young woman unwittingly involved with criminals, must learn to trust each other to solve a series of murders in San Francisco in 1984. Sophia Achille, the sole woman in a homicide department of men who don't respect her, is determined to prove herself worthy of her promotion when assigned her first lead case, that of a drug runner bludgeoned and dumped in an alley outside a punk club. Nikki Bissett cannot forgive herself for the accidental death of her husband and self-harms for punishment. On the night of the murder, she is given a date rape drug and goes outside only to discover the dead body. Sophia believes the two crimes are connected and her suspicions are confirmed when she finds out that Nikki dates one of the drug dealers. Reluctant at first to help, Nikki is convinced as more murders occur and she is stopped by the killers. Adversaries turn to accomplices. The women form a tenuous pack. Sophia, relentless in pursuing leads as Tana French's Antoinette Conway, and Nikki, with the fearless temperament of Lisbeth Salander, face danger head on as they delve into the turf of criminals and rush to solve the crimes before Sophia loses her job and Nikki loses her life. I am seeking representation for my complete 92,000 word mystery novel, The Last Cut. I, I lived in San Francisco in the 80s and imbued the sense of culture in the city of those times. I'm a member of Sisters in Crime, Mystery Writers of America, and Women's Fiction Writers Association. And then I do that. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, I want to see a paragraph by the agent. Yeah, I don't I, I know, I know, but I'm just saying, you, yeah. just so you know, that's still part of our big four exactly. things that we need. Um, you start very generically with talking about what the novel is about. Read me the second paragraph. Uh, start Sophia Achille, the sole woman in the homicide department. Boom, boom, that's your start. That's where you start. Sophia, and then, and then go in there. And you've got some cool stuff about Sophia, that she's the only woman in the department, she's facing you know, a lot of conflict from her own department as well as trying to solve a crime. So you've got cool stuff in there. It sounded, and I'd like some other feedback, it sounded a little synopsis -y. You, you went into a lot of small detail, and you mentioned a couple more characters. And then you wove in Elizabeth Sander, you know, like the, the girl, yeah, the girl with red, red. You mentioned her in there, like as you're doing the hook, you did a comparison between characters. I would shy away from doing that. I, I would keep that, if you want to compare it to the girl with the dragon tattoo, which I strongly suggest you don't, because that's like comparing yourself to Stephen King. It's it's so big. It, dragon, the girl with the dragon tattoo is so huge. Yeah. Find a, a more current um, 
smaller tier comp and do that in a comp paragraph when you when you say um, blah 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 is my ninety two thousand you know uh, mystery fiction uh, mystery novel then mention the comps down there okay and I, I want to see more nuance I, I hate giving advice like this because we don't have time to like really tear it up I haven't seen your writing but when you when I say that it sounds kind of synopsisy it's because you're using short declarative sentences about this happens this happens and then this happens when I was talking about Jessica's when I was talking about Luann's we were talking about the characters and about drawing out like you know in giving a flavor of those characters and what happens to them rather than just going beat 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 synopsis style does that make sense it's okay to you know, like I can I, I fumble around with this stuff all the time but look back at the packet keep it these are for you guys to take home and look at how they flavor those hooks with their writing they make them their own so it's not just uh, Sophia faces you know problems in her department you know and I'm just spitballing here I know this isn't in your own but Sophia faces you know centerfolds put on her desk every day you know like like show me those those things show me the crap that she has to deal with in addition to oh yeah solving a murder you know what i mean that's so much more effective at showing us your novel and what it's about than giving us faces difficulties or sexism or like show it instead of telling it. i know it's the oldest advice in the book and i hate it when even i get told that and i'm like thanks thanks a lot but it's pertinent and frequently when people say it to me, I deserve it. Because I get out of the habit too. Does that help? Yeah, thank you. Okay. We're going speed dating now. Brian Burkett. I got for you. Here you go. Thank you. All right. Dear XXX. Best, you worst best opening ever. Yeah, that it is. Now we know what the genre is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice, nicely done. That's right. Hook. Rachel with the Rachel with the, uh, with the making the funny. <laughs> yes, you are. I am an avocado farmer from Santa Barbara and the author of a ninety-five thousand word family memoir. In nineteen forty, my grandfather sat down to Passover Seder in Romania with fifteen relatives. It was the last time he would ever see his family. Soon after, almost everyone from that table was murdered in the Holocaust. Only my grandfather and three siblings survived. Their subsequent journeys overlap with the four major pathways taken by the Jewish community after the Holocaust. My grandfather would become a capitalist oil mogul in America, lucky. His brother assimilated into <laughs> communist Romania. Another brother became an ultra-religious fanatic in Israel. And the last sibling became a leader in a Zionist terrorist organization. My family members signed on the Israeli Declaration of Independence, served as the rabbi of the largest synagogue in the world, and negotiated a clandestine pact with the communist secret police. Two decades ago, after graduating with an English degree from Columbia University and prompted by the events of 9-11, I returned to Romania and wrote down my family story. But after I finished my memoir, my grandparents feared how they might be perceived and paid me not to publish my book. <laughs> after they died, I revisited that narrative, conducting over 100 interviews, reading dozens of books, and obtaining their classified secret police file. 
I discovered secret marriages to strange relatives, deals with murderous dictators, debilitating mental illness, and an international espionage scandal. But as I investigated, my family obstructed me with resistance and lies as they didn't want the story told. Like Daniel Mendelssohn's The Lost, my book grapples with how we can pass down stories across generations after the last eyewitnesses are gone. My book begins in Romania in 1940 with my grandfather and ends in the same place eight decades later at my son's bar mitzvah. Haggadah, a story of four seasons, is edited by Claire Wachtel, the esteemed former executive editor of Carl Carpenter Palace. My network in the Jewish community should help with its promotion and distribution. I have senior leadership roles in some of the largest Jewish institutions, including the Jewish Federation, American Jewish University, Hillel International, and the Wexner Foundation. I've already received complimentary blurbs from numerous best-selling authors and renowned, renowned Holocaust scholars. Thank you for considering this project. Okay. Wow, that's a great, great story and a great memoir. Okay. Um, there's work to be done. Okay. Um, you don't want to start with I am an avocado farmer from Santa Barbara. <laughs> um, because you've got so much good stuff in here. And much like I talked to Kelly, you go distant mm -hmm. on this. I want you to go close. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I would rather you start at, you know, this first party in 1940, named him, mm -hmm. sat down to Passover City in Romania with 15 relatives. It was the last time he would ever see his family. How, what better way to start with a character and a conflict right there? I mean, that's gorgeous, right? I mean, it's wonderful. The only thing that meteor is that whole, uh, I was paid not to tell this story. Yeah, but that's true. In a weird that's true, way. but I'm going to get back to that because I don't, I don't want that in the hook. Right. right? Because it's, it doesn't belong because it's not. Right. I mean, yes, it's part of the story, but let's. Like, you have an embarrassment of riches here, is what I would call it, because there's so much great stuff. Um, but what I don't want to see is the two decades after graduating with an English degree from Columbia University, prompted by the events of 9-11. Like, that's not the memoir, that's how you wrote the memoir, how you came to write the mm -hmm. memoir. Tell me the story in your hook, not just of your grandfather, but then of some of the subsequent, but I would stick it to one or two people. Um, and then, you know, build through this amazing history, but do it from, you know, not my family members signed on to the Israeli Declaration of Independence, but, you know, give us a name, give us, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in relation to the grandfather. Um, I mean, geez, Louise, this, even the stuff you crossed out. <laughs> um, here's the best, here's the best line of the piece, okay? And that's, and, and I would, and I don't want it to be I discovered, but, Secret marriages, strange yeah, relatives, yeah, yeah. deals with murderous dictators, debilitating mental illness, and international espionage scandal. Book That's total book jacket stuff. That's it's the stuff that I want to see. That's yeah. <laughs> That's what I want to see as you as you tell us the characters mm -hmm. and the and the things that are arrayed against them, the Holocaust, the chaos of the world post nineteen forty five, the formation of Israel in nineteen forty eight. Like these are things that like build me. Take me there, and and it can build up to, you know. I, I don't want you because it's nice when you talk about your son's bar mitzvah, but I don't want you to take it that far mm -hmm. because you can, you know, you can talk about at the at the critical moment, you know, a family that survived such tragedy, mm -hmm. you know, 
built on a, on a foundation of tradition and, and love can, can continue through the ages mm -hmm. no matter what's arrayed against it. Something like that, right. you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. and, if you, and if you do that in a, in a close personal way, then at the end, why am I the right person to write this book? Remember, you, you need a paragraph like that? That paragraph is, my family paid me not to write this book. Mm -hmm. It has so much, it has such, inf such um, you know, uh, important secret information that's been hidden from the world for decades that they paid me not to write it. Mm -hmm. I mean, holy shit, who wouldn't turn the page? Right? That's how I would do that. Um, on the, and then I would say, Haggadah, the story of four sons, is my blank uh, 95,000 word family memoir. We do not need to know that Claire Wachtel edited it. They, they don't care. They want to read. They want to read the, because guess what? Somebody else is really going to edit it. Mm -hmm. So if it sells, it, you know, it, it won't be, it'll be out of your hands anyway. Um, you could probably thin down the stuff about my network in the Jewish community should help with promotion and distribution. That's more impactful for um, the agent when they pitch it to the publisher. Okay? Would the agent want some reassurance that I actually the family isn't going to hire a hitman? <laughs> <laughs> I want that reassurance. <laughs> I mean, yes, having, having exactly. a built-in, yeah, but he's, it's not saying you have my network could should help with its yeah. promotion distribution. That's, that's not giving yeah. a platform. That's True. that's hoping for the best. Right. So I would rather not do that and let this be more about the work and the fact that you know a country, I mean a family whose members are on the Israeli Declaration of Independence and negotiating clandestine pact with communist secret police. I, I'm going to use that as the supper. Like that's that's what I want to focus on. So Brian, this is. You've got lightning in a bottle, man. So, thank work you, man. And bring some avocados. Yeah. <laughs>